Revelation 20 is where we'll be today. I'm going to do something a little odd here. We may draw a little bit in a little bit, okay? But we're going to preach first. All right, so um, it's good to see your smiling faces. It's good to see you folks who are tuning in online. Glad you're here and a part of what God is doing here. And you are a part of it. We pray for you. We think about you when we plan different elements of the service as well as what else is happening. We know that people are there um, for lots of different reasons. And we affirm and support all of your uh, efforts to keep people safe, to stay healthy. And we are still praying for folks, folks in the hospital, folks at home, folks in the room, folks down the hall, okay? We are, we are um, very aware um, that the new norm, the old normal is never coming back, okay? And then the new normal is still taking shape. Um, but that's what God's people have always done. We've, we've adjusted, we've been flexible and willing to, to change, to do what's best where we live, work, and play to help people see that at the end of the day, it's about Jesus no matter what it is we're going through. And that perspective keeps us grounded and, and holy, which leads to happy, okay? Not always easy, not always pleasant. So um, with that, let me start with this. So in 1997, I guess it was March of 1997 in San Diego, California, they found 39 people dead of a mass suicide as a result of uh, a belief that they were going to a higher place of evolutionary advancement, and the name of the group was called Heaven's Gates. And it was a, a cult of sorts um, described um, as a combination of U New Age, Christian millennialism, and UFO religion. And I did not know UFO religion was actually a classification, but there actually is a classification of religions called UFO religion. So they fit all of those to some degree. And uh, um, part of today's title is Millennial Madness. What, do we, what is the, reign, the millennial reign of Christ? Um, millennials don't get excited. We're not telling you that you're large and in charge yet, um, though your day's coming. Uh, should you choose to do that, you'll, you'll one day be running everything. But uh, the millennial reign of Christ is actually something that we'll find today in Revelation chapter 20 that drives some people to do crazy things like Heaven's Gate's cult did. They believed because Haley's, Haley, Haley Bop Comet was coming really close and that was the timing and they were going to end up in a spaceship and that was going to cause them to leave humanity and become something more. And, you know, like every good lie, there's some truth mixed in. Um, they're the most effective lies. And so when you read things like what we're going to read today, you might go, well, this doesn't sound a whole lot different than what those people believe because, you know, <laughs> millennial reign of Christ, you know, we don't hear about that. We don't talk about that. Unless you read your Bible, you probably don't even know about that. So you're going to learn about it today. That's going to be the question we're going we're gonna to tackle. But here's the bottom line takeaway. And we've said this before. This is not a new takeaway if you've been listening. But it, it particularly applies to today. And that is this. There is a God. You're not him. Are you ready to meet him? Because in chapter 19 and in chapter 20, we have the second coming of Christ. 
we have the return of Christ. Now, just in case you don't know, the first coming of Christ happened already. That was why, that's why we celebrate Christmas. He came as a baby, came vulnerable. He came to a little town called Bethlehem to a young married couple, okay? And um, God came as a servant. God put on flesh and came as a servant. Second time he comes, he will come as a king. Now, he was a king when he came as a servant, but he, uh, was, he came to make it very clear that he was a king that came to serve, a shepherd king. It's what you would expect from a shepherd king who is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And so uh, there's that, but there's also the conquering king and that is he will not be defeated. Ultimately, he is king of kings and lord of lords, and therefore he will, as creator, make things right, restore all things things under his headship. Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, and we're going to hit and go and started going into Colossians when we finish Revelation. So you'll get to see the supremacy of Christ um, in the word of God for several weeks there when we get to Colossians. But for now, we're looking at the thousand reign of Christ, thousand year reign of Christ. Millennial means thousand years, the millennial reign of Christ. Okay. Now um, we're going to talk about who's there, why does it happen, where does it fit, and do we even agree on that? And you're going to find that many of us will not. And that's okay. Because one of the things I want you to know, make sure that we, we walk away from here is this. That part of the millennial madness in the church is this division that occurs because of different takes on how things end. Call it your eschatology. And uh, no, I didn't just uh, curse you out. I'm, eschatology is a seminary word that means end time studies or the studies of end time things. Okay. But the things that we can agree on are much greater than the things that we might differ on. And assuming that we can even disagree, disagree you know, agreeably, then I think we will be fine and unified and not letting that derail us. But there is, there is that temptation. And so hopefully we will live above that. So what I want to do is I want to dive into this. We're going to look at three of the four scenes in chapter 20. We'll finish scene four next week. Uh, where we'll go in depth uh, in uh, talking about the great white throne, what is that judgment seat, and we'll probably peek at uh, the parable in Matthew 25, 31 through 46 and see what Jesus has to say about hell. We'll talk about hell next week, okay? And I know it's like, that's going to pack them out. But actually, people have questions about it. And we use the word all the time. So, you know, we ought to at least know what we're talking about. Uh, we hear it at work and school. It may not be used theologically correct, but it is a great end if you want to start a conversation. Oh, is this a religious conversation? I've got something to say. Yeah. And, you know, a little levity never hurt. Grease the wheel for a good conversation. But we'll do that next week. This week, we're going to talk about uh, a great chain. We're going to talk about great reign, and we're going to talk about a great revolt. And everybody likes a good revolt, so we'll end with that. All right, starting in verse 1, remember, John is recording this vision. It's a revelation, that is an unveiling that God is giving us of his word in very colorful language with lots and lots of symbols. And all of that is because he's pulling things that are from long ago from the Old Testament, and he's pulling them into the first century Christian church, and he's helping them understand things that really go beyond the generation. And even now, here we are, millennial later, several thousand years later, trying to put all of it together and figure it out. The good news is God didn't expect you to have to become a biblical scholar to understand his word. Um, in fact, sometimes that gets in the way of understanding the clear, straightforward message of what he wants us to get. So hopefully we won't muddy the waters too much. I'll try to do my best to keep us on track. So with that, John writes, and I saw an angel coming down from out of heaven. Imagine that, another angel, having the key 
to the abyss. Now think of the abyss as just this cosmic timeout room, okay? It's a bottomless pit and holding in his hand a great chain, symbolism, okay? He's not literally holding a chain. He's holding something that chains or binds because he has the power to. He has the key which shows authority. Verse 2, he seized the dragon. Who's the dragon? Well, if you've been with us, you know who the dragon is, but he's going to tell us. He seized the dragon, a symbol, that ancient serpent, Genesis 3, who is the devil or Satan. So all of these are in one sentence. So you can see very clearly now that these things all point to who used to be called Lucifer, who used to be the chief angel in heaven, and who actively led a rebellion against his creator one day. And this is where he's ended up. And this is what happens. Uh, He sees the dragon and it says, and he bound him for a thousand years, a millennium. Or um, yes, for a millennium. He threw him into the abyss. That's the cosmic timeout room. He threw him into the bottomless pit and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nation. So there's your reason, okay? Now your question might be, well, why they're not in the lake of fire? Well, because that's gonna come later. Um, so he's, he's bound so that he can't deceive the nations anymore because that's what he's doing. You realize that, right? He is actively deceiving us He's actively deceiving the nations. This is why most people can't see Christ because of the deceptions of the, that's his job is to obscure and blur the lines. After that, now this is gonna cause you a little concern, I think. After that, he must be set free for a short time, okay? Um, Yes, bound for a thousand years and then released for a brief time. And then we'll see what happens next. Um, I, I could give you an answer for why. I don't think I really know. So here, let's keep going. Verse four, I saw thrones. Okay, so that's the great, uh, the great chain. Now we've got the great reign, R-E-I-G-N, the great reign or rule. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. Okay, so these are folks that have died because of their testimony of Christ and their unwillingness to betray him to save their own skin. These are folks that did not commit apostasy. This is probably people, it sounds like this is people that are described who are living during the days of the judgments that we've read about already in Revelation, which we believe happened during the great tribulation, the seven years, whether literal or figurative, where God unleashes the, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls of judgments on all of humanity, well, on humanity minus those who are in names are written in the book of life. So when we talk about the millennial reign, it sounds like he's going to tell us they have a job, and he's already told us they have authority to judge, and he's going to give us a little more information about these folks, but basically, those who are martyred during the tribulation will help rule those who are still alive during the thousand-year reign. I'll go back, and I'll talk more about that when I start drawing. Okay, so um, because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God, they had not worshiped the beast. This is a further description of these people who will get to rule. Uh, They have not worshiped the beast, remember that's the Antichrist, or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands, mark of the beast. They came to life, that's called resurrection, and reigned or ruled with Christ a thousand years. 
Okay? Now, England is all impressed because they've got a queen who's been ruling for 69 years, right? And, and let's face it, we haven't had a president. We, we have a hard time um, getting anybody to, to rule for six years well, but 69 years, can you imagine? Okay, and so Queen Elizabeth II, she's hanging in there. 19, we're going to rule with Christ. We're going to reign with Christ. That We're going to get a crown. You're going to get a crown if you're in Christ. And I know that feels fairy taleish. That feels, you know, okay, that's so nice, you know. I'm glad you believe that, Darren. That's so cute. Um, but I'm going to tell you, when the king of kings hands you a crown, wow. You're not going to feel worthy because you're not. Neither am I. And yet, his grace is sufficient and amazing. Okay? So let's keep going. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Verse 5, the rest of the, this is parenthetical, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Okay, so at the end of the thousand years, all the dead will come back to life, all of the dead, and then that's when the great white throne will happen, and there will be a massive Mac Daddy of all judgments that will happen there, and it will be, is your name written in the book of life or not, kind of judgment, okay? Um, And then sorted out sheep from the goats, that kind of thing. Okay, we'll get back to that. This is the first resurrection. So the first resurrection is when the tribulation has happened. Okay, so uh, let me just keep going. The tribulation has happened. The millennial reign has begun. During that thousand-year reign, the people, there will be two groups of people there. There will be those who survive the tribulation, a pretty small number, okay? They'll be fruitful and multiply. They'll still just be kicking on us humans. And then you'll have these people who died during the tribulation, Christians who died because of their testimony in Jesus, who will be raised from the dead and resurrected and rule in that thousand years. All the rest of Christians who have died will not be raised for that period of time. They'll come at the end, along with all those who died apart from Christ who will be raised and then they'll face their judge, okay? I don't know that I've ever heard anybody describe that. I'm just reading it, and it's like, wow, I've never heard anybody talk about that before. So unless we live during the tribulation, we won't be one of those, but we're still gonna be crowned later, okay? Some people think we're living in the tribulation, um, and so they might say, well, you know, be faithful so that you can be one of those. I'm not there yet, but it, it could be, okay? So let's keep going. Uh, verse 6, blessed are those, this is another one of the seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation, blessed are and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Again, that's what we just described. The second death has no power over them. The first death is when we physically die. Second death is when you go to hell, okay, if you do. That's the second death. The second death has no power over those who are in the first resurrection or the second in the sense if you know Christ. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. So that tells us the job of those who will rule during the thousand year reign will be a priestly job um, serving Christ. Okay? So great chain, great reign, great revolt. All right, here we go. Verse seven. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations, which is why he was locked up in the first place, in the four corners of the earth, which is another way of saying northeast, southwest. If you think the earth is flat, the four corners, okay? If you want to play along. Um, And then he says, uh, Gog and Magog. 
Okay, that's not a coffee from Starbucks. Gog is probably a guy uh, who's a leader and demonically led, and Magog is probably a place north of Israel. Okay, now you have to go to Ezekiel 38 and 39 if you want more detail on the battle of Gog and Magog. Okay, we talked about the battle of Armageddon a few weeks ago. If you remember, those armies came from the east across the Euphrates River that God dried out to make it easier for his enemies to cross. Okay, so it appears to me two different battles separated by some amount of time. You'll, you'll, I'll share with you later where some people think they're one and the same battle. Okay, and it's not my job nor my desire to try to convince you one way or the other. I just try to help you understand that there are people who have different takes on all of this. All right, um, Gog and Magog and to gather them for battle. So Gog is gathering millions of people to fight and conquer Israel and their leader, the leader, Jesus Christ. Okay, they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, that would be Jerusalem, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Okay, we see this happen in other places in scripture too. I don't know um, exactly what that looks like, but that sounds terrifying and I don't think I want to be around except from a distance to watch. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the burning lake, uh, sorry, into the lake of burning sulfur, which is another name for hell, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. Okay, and in my mind, that happened at the beginning of the millennium because we read that last week. And at the end of the millennium reign, this is happening. So I see that as time passed. But it is possible that it could have happened much closer together. Again, it's possible. Okay, now stopping there, and what I'd like to do now is just is kind of, uh, I want to show you kind of three ways people look at the millennial reign of Christ. Now, this is where a lot of people get um, bent out of shape and upset about um, what people believe about this. So I'm, I'm giving you information not to, to make it easier for you to argue with one another, okay? All right, and, and I'm trying to help you see that it is legitimate, there are legitimate arguments on all accounts, okay? There's not a slam dunk here. You may think your view is slam dunk. Okay, that's fine, but let's not act like we've got this down because um, it's secondary in importance. The things that really matter, we can agree on. Jesus is coming back. Okay, he is king of kings and lord of lords and whatever the order this happens, he wins and it doesn't take us having to help him. He does it. We don't, we really just kind of watch. We're there. We have our costumes on. We're on our white horses or whatever it is that we get to do. So I'm going to start drawing here in a second. Let's see, assuming the technology cooperates and uh, we're going to see if we can't visually give you some sense of um, how this works. Or, or how people think it works, okay? So keep in mind that um, these are different people's takes on things. Good Bible-believing evangelical scholars, not all evangelical scholars, but good Christian scholars have different takes, okay? And I just want to kind of help you th- think through that. All right, so with that, let's, let's see if this works. Is it on the screen? Over there? Okay, good. All right, here we go. All right, so let's do a timeline. Okay, and let's start with creation. It's a good place to start. Read, okay, it's hard to read because I can't write. Okay, we're going to end with the new creation. 
new creation. Okay? And that's, we haven't gotten to, that's Revelation 21 and 22. So that's in the coming weeks. That's the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Okay? And we get new resurrected bodies. Okay? Like, no more hospitals needed. No more medicine needed. No more pain and suffering. No more tears. No more tears shampoo. Right? I mean, none of that. Right? It's awesome. We are looking forward to that. Poor Johnson and Johnson. Okay. All right. So creation, new creation, in between is where we're kind of talking about. Okay. So let's come to the first coming of Christ. So I'm going to put first little C, first coming of Christ. And I draw symbols for the, doc, for the uh, gospel. And this is how I do it. I, I'm just going to draw the... So we have... So that's an arrow down. The incarnation, Jesus shows up. He's born, dies on the cross, buried in a tomb, and then he's resurrected and ascends to heaven, okay? Those are those symbols. Does that make sense? Pretty clear? Okay, good. With me? All right, so that happens roughly around AD zero. I know technically it happens a little before then, but we're just gonna go round numbers. Zero, time is split because Jesus is that significant. No accident that God allowed that to happen if he didn't cause it. And that takes us into the church age. Okay? Church age. Now, I'm coming at this from a belief that the best system, based on my take and my limited study, my opinion is not worth much, I'm going to come at it from that position. I think premillennialism makes the most sense. Another version is postmillennialism, and another one is amillennialism. And I'm going to walk you through all three briefly because I don't know them all that well. Um, if you've ever read the Left Behind series, that's premillennialism version. That's a version. Now, there are obviously nuances, all of these. I'm just really broad strokes here, okay? And that's kind of the way I've been teaching Revelation. That's why I'm just, so I'm not telling you that's what you should believe. I'm really not. I, I could be wrong and I'm okay if I'm wrong because again, the big pieces are the same in all these views and that's what matters to me. And so I'm not gonna get bent out of shape over um, if Christ comes before I think he is or if he comes after. My, my thing is he's coming and I need to be ready. And so do you. And my job is to help stay ready, get ready. Let's do this, Okay. All right, so at some point, um, Jesus is coming back. So let's just put that right here. Second coming, okay? That's in the future. That's beyond today. Could be later today. Could be a thousand years from today, right? We don't know, all right? When that comes, my reading is, premillennialist reading is, that begins a thousand-year reign. I'll just draw a little crown there. Thousand-year reign of Christ, Okay? Satan is bound in the abyss, okay? Um, and all the other things that we just described happen. Uh, so that would put, in my mind, that would put the tribulation of seven years, whether it's literal or not, right here. I'm just going to put a seven, okay? So that has ended. The judgments have ended. Jesus shows up to finish. Goodbye, right? Goodbye, Babylon. Goodbye, Antichrist, goodbye, false prophet, goodbye, dragon, Satan, but he doesn't get thrown in the lake of fire. He gets chained up for a while because he's going to get back out. Satan released briefly, but long enough to mobilize and deceive the nations to fight, right, and to attack and rebel, which is what he does. 
and and yeah, let me leave speculation alone. Okay, so um, the other thing that happens here is I'm just going to draw some scales for judgment. Okay, so this is the the time when um, we have the great white throne. Okay, which is the second. And really the judgment that everybody talks about, right? When you talk about being judged and standing before God, and he's like, you can, you go this way, you go that way, and, and, you know, those who go this way are those whose names are written in the book. He's looking, yep, got your name here. You trusted the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. You placed your faith in him. You live for him. You die for him. Yes, you did it imperfectly, but you did it by grace, through faith, enter into my presence. And everyone else goes this way. And Jesus said, Broad is the road that leads to destruction and few will find it. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Okay, and that's, all of that points back to that time. Okay? And then, um, I, think that's, I think that's good. Okay, now, let's, let's look at some differences. So, it's called pre-mill. Um, yeah, premillennialism. I'm just going to put pre-mill. Because he shows up, he returns pre-1,000 year reign. Does that make sense? Okay. Post-mill, he shows up post-1,000 year reign. Okay. Now remember what happens when Jesus shows up. He takes care of Babylon. He takes care of the false prophet. He takes care of the Antichrist, Armageddon. All of that's been happening here. Okay in the pre-mill version. All of that slides to the end if you believe post-mill. Well, what about the battle of Gog and Magog? Is that two different battles? Do they happen days apart? I guess it's, I guess it could, okay? They, they, the details of the battles are different, so I don't think it's a convincing argument that they're the same. Um, But again, I've never heard a really well done, well presented argument for post-millennialism. I will say this, Amillennialism is the oldest. Postmillennialism has been around almost as long. Premillennialism is the new kid on the block. Okay, it's like 18th century is when people started talking about this. So I, I I don't know that I have an answer or an explanation for that either. And maybe that the reason that a lot of us believe it is simply because it's popular right now. You know, postmillennialism was very popular until World War II, World War One, and World War II. Because postmillennialism believes that the thousand-year reign and all the good things that come with that, it believes they believe that all of that's just going to happen. Like the church is going to get really good at making disciples, and we're going to be really good at transforming culture. And I'm looking around, going, "Where is that happening?" Okay, so it's a pretty optimistic view on the power of of God and 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 the gospel, based on what I'm seeing, not based on what God can do. God can absolutely do that. He can transform our culture, and there are pockets of examples, but it's hard to find a place where that's just sweeping. But thousand-year reign, and it could be that that will get traction at some point in the future when that would begin. I don't know. My thinking is things are going to have to get much more radically disruptive to get our attention, because think about how disruptive COVID has been. But do we see spiritual revival? Do we see our country really getting, grasping with eternity? Not yet. I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm just saying it's not happening on a scale that, I'm, that I would love to see. All right, so post is him coming here. Post, 
mill is Jesus' second coming here. Okay? And then there's amillennialism. And this one I understand the least. And basically, they say there isn't one. So, theist means God. Atheist means not God, no God. A is a negative. It negates the word it's in front of. That's in Greek language, okay? So, millennialism, amillennialism means no millennialism. So, basically, they act like it, there isn't one. That might mean that they think it's spiritual or symbolic and that there's some meaning behind that. And I don't have a problem with that in principle, but I don't, I, I don't find it very satisfying in answering a lot of my questions. But again, if I drilled down in that and, and studied that more, I probably would be able to see some of those arguments. Okay? So, um, so then, then it's really hard to answer a lot of these questions. You're, you're kind of left going, so how do you explain and how do you explain? But ah means none. I don't know anybody personally that's, that believes that. And again, that's just the circles I run in. So um, I don't want to, you know, be guilty of an echo chamber or whatever. Okay. So, I'm tempted to ask, ask for questions. I'm not going to do that. I mean, it just ran through my mind. There's no way I'm doing that because I wouldn't be able to answer them and you would just get frustrated. So, why do I share all this? Why go to all this detail? Why do, why do I talk about all of this? Well, because it's going to happen in some form or fashion and we still need to be ready for that. And we need to ask ourselves a question. Am I prepared for that? Am I preparing my, my kids, my grandkids, my neighbors, my coworkers, my friends, people I care about? Am I even talking about it with them? Am I asking them questions? Am I prepared? And then also it just changes your whole perspective on how you live when you realize there's a time when he's going to return. And the question is, am I ready for that? You know, am I living in such a way, one, that I wouldn't be ashamed if Christ found me doing what I'm doing at that moment? Would I, would I be okay with that? But, but two... Um, the decisions that I make on a daily basis, what I choose to purchase, things that are important to me, those things start to fade when I start thinking about the best is yet to come. And even with this thousand-year reign, that's, not the, that's better, but that's not the best. The best is the new creation, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. And because here's the thing, in the thousand-year reign, they're going to go a thousand years without Satan and his minions doing any of that stuff. Kind of what we would think of as utopia. And yet, when he does return, he's going to deceive the nations to rebel against God. Okay? So that's not ideal. <laughs> but that's not happening in the new creation because he will be in the lake of fire at that point. And he, so... God is clearly using that to teach us some things, even now, but certainly will teach people in those days that he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. He just is, regardless of when he comes. So my, my question to you is, are you preparing? There's a God. You're not him. He's coming back. He's coming back. And we're going to see that next week that he is going to come back. And one of the first things he's going to do after he deals with Gog, <laughs> whoever Gog is, or well, first it'll be Armageddon, and then later he's going to he's going to stand face to face with every creature he's ever created, every person, and you're going to look in the eyes of your Creator, and you're either you've either decided to submit gladly to your Creator or to reject your Creator. Okay, 
And the way scripture gets into this, it's like, it's not just that you made a bad decision and you, you, you had bad information. Oops, I made a bad decision. If I had known, I would have chosen better. It's that you not only rebel, but you, will, you have a heart that is continually rebellious, even knowing all of this firsthand, eye to eye with your creator. You're still going to rebel because that's the heart that you're with, you have against him. Okay. Now, my prayer is that that's not you. My prayer is that you soberly consider your eternity, that you soberly consider it in how you're living today, because the way you live today, it really shows the world and it shows the Lord um, what you really believe. Okay? You, God says in his word that he, we know who's for him based on the fruits in their life based on the things that they say, think, and do in life, okay? So if somebody followed you around for a week and watched it, what you said, could read your thoughts, watch what you did, watch what you chose not to do, and they, they evaluated that in light of Scripture, not in light of what some church thinks, what God thinks, what would they conclude about your heart? And that's the closest thing to what you really believe that you're going to find. And if you're willing to be honest about that before God, then, then there's something to work with because you've, if you're willing to be honest, then you're humbling yourself before God. And that's really where, we, where he wants us to be because if I humble myself before the Lord, now I'm open and receptive to his grace. And if his grace comes my way, then that means there's something for God to work with to change me, to become who he really created me to be in the first place. And that's somebody that's not just holy. That's somebody that's happy to be holy. And that's what we pray for. So I, I'm just going to, um, right there, I just want to stop right there and pray for us. Lord Jesus, um, this, is, this is sobering stuff. It's tempting to think of this as fairy tales and, and myths and yeah, it's so far out there. It's probably not going to matter. Yeah. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth that sets us free. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive the truth that you've put in front of us, to sort it out, to sort out the things that matter most, that you're real, that you're coming, and that you are coming to rescue your people from sin and death, shame and guilt, and hell itself. But Lord, we are, we're blinded by the things of this world. And we give in to the temptation so often we don't even put up a fight anymore, it feels like sometimes. Lord, my prayer is that that would change. And it would change by, by, because you get more involved because we humble ourselves. And so I ask us, help us, help us to humble ourselves. Help us to turn to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.